Hey everyone, before we get started, I just wanted to discuss the timeline of this season. Our episodes are not necessarily presented in the order we recorded them, and these conversations took place over the course of the past few months. Therefore, we may touch on some, but not all, current events. That being said, Victoria and I want to express our love and support for all using their voices for positive change. Hey guys, thank you for joining us. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode six, where we talk to hit songwriter Emily Shackleton. We invite you to pull up a chair and get super, super comfortable because everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop you. Emily Shackleton is a songwriter from Wabak, Minnesota. After studying at Berklee College of Music, where she won the coveted BMI John Lennon Songwriting Competition, Emily penned the Carly Pierce single, Every Little Thing, which hit number one on the Music Row Country breakout chart, as well as Lauren Elena's single, Doing Fine. Emily was awarded 2018 Music Row's Breakout Songwriter of the Year here in Nashville, Tennessee. She's had several songs featured on TV shows like American Idol and ABC's Nashville, including Love Like Mine, sung by Hayden Penichere, and featured on the gold-selling Season 1 soundtrack. Her catalog includes cuts by Reba McIntyre, Sarah Evans, Jana Kramer, David Cook, Seth Ennis, Mickey Guyton, Cassidy Pope, and many more. She is signed to a co-venture publishing deal with Liz Rose Music, Busby, and BMG. And I'm really excited to talk to Emily. She's one of my favorite co-writers. So here we go. All right, guys, we have Emily Shackleton in the digital house today. Thank you so much for being here with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. We're super excited. We got to talk to some of your co-writers um, and friends on the Busby episode. And so we're super excited to talk to you about your career and a little bit about Busby as well. Um, but I think we're just going to start off with something that we ask a lot of people, which is how has your general experience as a woman in the music industry been? I am really grateful that for the most part, I've felt really fueled by, um, you know, challenges. And I think that being a woman in a lot of businesses can be a challenge. Definitely in the music business, you can just see by the numbers. Um, it was the same way for me in college. Um, and I went to a music school, so I don't know if maybe that, like, prepared me in some way, but... I almost came to Nashville already knowing that like that would just be like one of the challenges. Um, what college did you go to? I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston and it was 11% women. Oh, wow. I'm really surprised. I thought there would have been a lot more women in, in, in there. Wow. It seems like there would be, but yeah, it was 11% when I was there. Um, so I was kind of like expecting it down here to an extent, right? But I think the radio, um, the game with radio and Tomato Gate and all of that really coming out to the light 
<laughs> yeah. So to to uh, clarify to our listeners what Tomato Gate is, which surprisingly has not come up yet, but oh um, wow, I was so, like, oh, am I yeah, right on record? Right. <laughs> no, it's good. So um, it's a well-known fact that women. Uh, female artists are played far less than male artists on country radio and that is a purposeful decision on the part of radio programmers who feel that their audiences don't want to hear women on the radio and uh, a few years back a an opinion was uh, made public in Billboard magazine by one of those really powerful radio programmers who basically said that programming country country radio is like making a salad and the men are the lettuce and the women are the tomatoes and you just don't want to put two tomatoes next to each other (laughs) and so that turned into this huge sort of backlash inside the industry of um of women wearing t-shirts with tomatoes on them and it was just like basically he just sort of put in words something that we had known was happening for a long time but but yeah i mean as a songwriter you are uh, affected by that, right? Like that affects your ability to make a living. So, um, how do you, do you feel like you have had to adapt the way that you do things in order to try and make a living in that circumstance? I think that I have been encouraged to adapt what I do. Um, I think I've seen a lot of my friends do it really well. They came to town thinking they were going to write for Faith Hill and Martina and um, and then they saw the writing on the wall and so they started writing for Jason Aldean and um, you know Justin Moore and um, that's awesome um, when you can do that and when you can be adaptable in this industry and I think that's important but for me I just knew that that wasn't ever going to be really true to me and like the country music that I love and come from it's just like that much more like um feminine like true to who I am like you know um viewpoint and um just a little bit more singer-songwriter um and so that was sort of a piece that I had to make with uh, myself a long time ago and I feel like Vic you know like we've had a lot of conversations about this and have both had to make peace with like our careers are going to be what they are because we can only write, we can only feel like sleep peacefully at night and feel good about what we're doing if we're writing songs that we love and feel fulfilled and like they have some purpose in the world or like could somehow make a difference. And um, Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, so it it has been like a long, slow ride in some ways. Um I wouldn't say that's only because I'm a female, but I would I would definitely point to the fact that um, there just aren't as many chances um, to get singles out there. Um, and then, you know, in the same breath, all that being said, like I've been so grateful that the bit of success that I've tasted has been with strong female artists and um, writing the kind of songs that I want to write. And... Um, and I feel the momentum shifting. I, I am, you know, really encouraged by the music being made and the just the people sticking with it and like being willing to have like this slow change for the better. And um, and as that momentum happens, I think we're just going to see more and more women on the radio and um, 
and yeah, I, you've been you've been in Nashville for what what year did you move to Nashville? In the fall of two thousand seven. So we're coming up okay. on thirteen years in 13 August. Thirteen years. Okay, and and you worked as a staff songwriter for s- several, well, a couple of different publishing companies um, during that time. And so when would you say you got to the point where you started seeing things happening and having success? I always had just enough success to, I think, keep me going. Um, I had, you know, a lot more like big dreams and big hopes. I think when I first got to town that could like keep me afloat longer. Um, but when I first moved to town, I had won, um, the John Lennon songwriting competition through BMI. So that was my door to start meeting with publishers and kind of like get in the door. I signed my first deal. Um, the fall of 2007, the spring of 2008 is when the recession happened. So it was like, you know, I was like, you know, 11 months after moving to town, I signed this deal and then the bottom fell out. So it, you know, it was all a God thing. And, um, about a, I think right as I was signing that deal, I had a song, um, a song on American Idol by David Cook. And that was, um, really big for me because I hadn't signed yet. So I owned the publishing and that was something that I, that could help. And, you know, I bought a keyboard and, you know, <laughs> um, that keyboard you were hauling out to all those yes, kids. All those <laughs> the 10 year old keyboard. Yes. Vic, Vic knows the Casio well. Oh, rest, yes. rest in pieces. We wrote a lot of good songs on the Casio. Yeah, we really did. Um, well, did, when you came to town, were there, were you sort of in a class of, or did you have that feeling that you were arriving in a group of people or sort of coming up through the ranks with a group of people? Um, and did, if so, did you see a difference in male, female paths in that, in that? Um, yes. And no, I mean, like I definitely saw, uh, like had a class of songwriters that I came to town with from like Berkeley especially, you know, there was like kind of a strong alumni network. So Charlie Worsham, Jen Bostick, from like other circles, you know, I met Phil Barton within a few months of uh, moving to town. We met at like a writer's night slash like open mic night, I think at Hotel Indigo. I met, you know, Kelly Archer shortly thereafter, kind of the same way. And yeah, I definitely felt like this, I think it's the secret that all songwriters learn eventually, but I I thought like if I could just get in the room with so and so, then like I obviously would have songs on the radio. And then I would get in the room with so and so and I'd like freeze up or they'd be in a terrible mood or just like or just the song wouldn't be there. And then, you know, I'd get in the room with my friends and we would just write effortlessly and and just shedding song after song and um, you just learn after a while that like that's the way it's probably gonna happen. You know, there's exceptions yeah. to everything, but um, yeah, I love I love the people that um, I got to come up with and learn with and you know cheer for. And a lot of them with. are doing pretty amazing amazing yeah. things right now, including yeah. you. I mean, you had your first number one song a few years ago um, with Carly Pierce, a female artist yes. with a 
with a ballad no less yes. by Carly Pierce and that was so completely unexpected to hear that on the radio and the fact that that rose up the charts to number one just broke so many sort of unwritten rules about how things worked and I think yeah. that gave a lot of people hope and inspiration seeing that happen so it was yeah. really cool to watch that happen yeah. for you and Thanks. has that opened some some doors for you you feel like absolutely I mean um so many doors that song first of all you know like you said it it just it broke a lot of rules um a lot of people said it wasn't gonna work a lot of people told Carly to her face that you know it wasn't a special song um which um, seems to be what happens a lot of the time for women before they do something like that and then it becomes a hit so maybe maybe it's a little good luck charm she definitely used it as fuel and I love that about her um she let that just um you know be water in the well um and um I've tried to do the same thing it it really um fueled me you know I'd been writing with Busby for a little bit before that song you know probably for a couple years um how did you guys meet initially um okay so we I'm so grateful to Lauren Elena. She um, had a day with him and she invited me to be the third. And we showed up and I could just tell like how great, you know, I'd heard a lot about him, but, and had heard, you know, a lot of his songs, thought it was really cool. But when I met him in person, I was like, whoa, he is so musical and like, just like such a boss, you know, like just like another level, just try to keep up, you know? Noreen mentioned in her in her interview that we did a couple weeks ago that so much of his writing revolves around just naturally female feeling material. He just had such an ability to connect with that softer side and be vulnerable and honest. Did you feel that in the room initially? Did that ever come into play for you? Absolutely. I mean, it never felt like a hindrance, you know, like I think a lot of um, male co-writers, maybe it it might be a little bit harder for them to tap into that. But yeah, with him, it was it was pretty effortless for sure. Did you feel one of the things I was I was wondering when you were speaking on first moving to town was I know when I first started going to writers rooms like in publishing houses sometimes there's a a big whiteboard on the wall and it's everyone looking for songs and there's like two women and one of them is in a in a duo like and there's you know there's there wasn't a lot of options did you ever feel like you had to kind of try to change yourself to fit what was going on you know I think lucky for me I I like I said I think I made peace kind of early with the fact that I know that that's just not what I do best. Um, I mean, I've definitely tried and I definitely write male songs, um, but I've tried to to always write songs that I want to write for the most part, if that makes sense, or like songs that I maybe want to listen to. And, you know, for me, like it was more coming to town, like I didn't know a lot of like the Southern lingo and like I grew up kind of on like that more like 70s country that sort of like um you know where like that folk country like kind of the lines are blurred and so I had like a lot of the feel and the melody understanding of it um but I had a lot to learn for 
the lyric that country radio was gonna eat up. So um, I needed to, and I came to town writing by myself, you know, just like Victoria did. So um, I had to kind of like take in all these different things and learn from so many different people and um, just like listen to so many different records and to the radio. And, uh, but then at the end of the day, I had to like kind of come back to like what I actually came to town to do in the first place. And Mm -hmm. I think that was like a big um, lesson for me. And that was something that, you know, came from, I think every little thing and, and Busby too, was just being like, you know, trust your gut. Like, look how, Mm -hmm. look how we did that. Like you, you've got this, like do this now and like have the confidence to just not overthink it anymore so um, that's a pretty empowering thing to hear <laughs> that's pretty awesome yeah yeah Did it feel kind of like a tipping point when that all came together because I I remember being at the music row awards when you played that and like two years ago and I had just moved to town and I found it amazing to see a female songwriter up there playing a, a ballad released by another female songwriter an artist did it feel feel as powerful as we look back on it now at the time or did it feel kind of normal or a whirlwind or did you realize it was such a big thing when it happened it felt I honestly it felt a little bit surreal when it was all happening looking back it was so empowering and you know it was definitely the tipping point and a change in like deciding to ask for what I wanted and um the balance that I needed and just like how much, you know, that helped creatively and, and just writing the songs and, and all of that. But at the time, and Vic knows, like we've just tasted so many almost when, Mm. when you are in this industry and you like, you learn again and again, how to like have like your hope almost full and then like popped um (laughs) like just the bubble burst and um I like sadly I think the whole ride up was sort of just like waiting for the balloon to burst well the enormity of the almost that you've experienced I mean a lot of them we've experienced together together. (laughs) they're not just little almost they're like career making massive yeah like several singles and different mm -hmm. things that just were like so beyond our control and pulled at the last second or for like label political reasons or whatever and you just kind of for me I had I had just about like quit believing in like this like the magic of like getting songs on the like that it could really happen like and it was such a beautiful thing when it was happening but my daughter was also you know a newborn and um we were so enamored with her as well and um I was trying to be grateful for everything but it went by really quick and looking back it was just you know the best it was a wonderful time yeah really empowering so you have you have two kids we we both have two kids about the same ages it was really cool how that happened we were writing together and and Emily was pregnant and I was on the waiting list to adopt and little did we know that we would become parents both times right around the same time so um I that that makes me curious Emily did you have any misgivings or fears about how you were going to balance 
being a mom with being a songwriter and um how have those played out how do you manage those how do you feel about that yeah absolutely um when i had my firstborn benjamin um i felt like i should go back super early and i just tried to go back to like a major pace right away and i just burnt out kind of quickly and um just felt major mom guilt and really felt like I lost a lot of um, my love for songwriting for that time. And looking back, I think if I would have just given myself more grace and time instead of worrying about, you know, what um, what different people were going to think about, you know, my work ethic or something, that I maybe would have enjoyed it more. But I was so burnt out that I was thinking about leaving. Um, And that was when Benjamin was like a year old. And that's when um, Busby, you know, we'd been writing together for a few years and he had kindly, in my mind, jokingly said a few times, like, I wish you weren't signed, I would sign you. And just always felt like he was in my corner, you know? But um, around that time, I literally, had decided like we were probably going to leave town but it just felt like maybe it wasn't time yet and like I just didn't know which way to go you know and I I do not do this often but I got down on my knees and prayed and um I pray often but <laughs> not on my knees um and I was desperate and I got down and I asked God you know I said if you you know, thank you for the gift of music. If you want me to stay here, give me a sign that I'm supposed to stay stay here. Cause this is, it's just been too heartbreaking, you know? And the very next morning, um, my plugger called and said, how would you feel about doing a deal with, with Busby and Daniel Lee? <laughs> and I said, well, let's not, let's not even joke about that. And he was like, no, I mean, I just got off the phone with them and they want to do a deal with you. Um, so we went into a joint venture with them, um, through BMG, uh, with Liz Rose Music and, um, it, it all came together right around, like kind of right before every little thing went big and it's just been a, a different ride since then and such a blessing. And, um, it was Busby's birthday yesterday and we were all, um, on a Zoom call last night doing a toast in his honor. And we were talking about how much he empowered so many of us to put our families first. And he just continually like encouraged me to work less and to you know enjoy the time that I have and that my career is my own and it's gonna look like mine and no one else's and um, that there was still space for me at the table um, and I could make it mine, so. I'm really grateful to him for that. I'm glad that you shared that story because like it it, make, it makes me emotional talking yeah. about that with you. But I remember when you told me that you were going to leave and we were driving to a gig together, a songwriter gig together. And I remember you telling me, you know, I have a job offer somewhere else and I think I'm going to take it and I think I'm, I'm going to leave the business. And... Um, you were serious about it. Like you were, you were going. And, um, the fact that the universe lined up in a way that 
made you stay and put the people in your life that allowed you to stay is remarkable. And the fact that you are able to work on your terms artistically and creatively and have created success that way is um, really incredible and really inspiring to see. So, uh, I don't know, just makes me, (laughs) just makes me emotional that it happened that way. And then there's the added element that, of course, for those of you who haven't tuned into our Busby episode celebrating Busby, um, Busby, unfortunately, last year passed away of cancer uh, long before his time at a young age. And so he leaves behind this legacy of people that he has worked with. And um, and it seems like he, he was full of this sort of wise, self-empowering advice um, for the people that he worked with. Yeah, I think he was, he was, you know, so, such a go-getter and he worked so, he worked impossibly hard and he was, hard on himself um and but he was just like so benevolent with everybody else and um and um encouraging and constantly just trying to give all the glory um to god so just all the best qualities well in a family man too so he understood the importance of prioritizing that and in a business that can demand that music be your top priority at every moment and can shame you for not making it your top priority at every moment. That's something that's really hard to navigate when you're a parent, because obviously that's not going to be your top priority anymore. If you're, if you're all in (laughs) as a parent. So, and, and that was like, for me, I don't think I thought as hard with you know my fears and misgivings on becoming a mom the first time around with my oldest because I didn't do it till I was past age 40 and I kind of felt like I think there was part of me that felt like okay I've done enough in this business that if this is what kills my career then fine I've I've seen it and I've been there and I'm fine with that um luckily I didn't have to give up my career and and could do that and be a mom too but but the second time around when we adopted our younger, our youngest, we weren't on the adoption waiting list and we had an opportunity come up to adopt that was very short notice. And it was at a time when my career was, as a songwriter, was really kind of on fire with opportunity and I was writing for a publisher who was, had things scheduled for me that I was really excited about and there was all this stuff that was about to come up that I was gonna do. And all of a sudden, here's this chance to adopt a second baby. And I, I went to the office and I broke down crying in front of my publishers, just saying, I don't know what to do. I wanna be a mom, I wanna have two kids, but I wanna be a songwriter and I, I wanna be a successful songwriter and I don't know if I can do both things. And I remember my, my publisher, Suzanne Strickland at Rare Spark, she was, she's a woman who has raised kids and been an entrepreneur and she looked at me and said, women have a great career and are great moms at the same time and they do it all the time and you can do it too will work with whatever has to happen. She was like, if you have to come and bring the baby into the office, if there's a song, if there's a right that you want to do, bring the pack and play, bring the baby, we'll take care of her while you write upstairs for a couple of hours. Like we'll do whatever we have to do. And this is something that 
I mean, that's above and beyond for a publisher. That is not something that most people would offer to do. Totally, yeah. But I remember thinking at the time, like, is this something that dads have to think about? Like, is this something that they struggle about? Because I don't know how many dads go into the office and break down crying that they're going to be a dad and and worried that they're going to be able to do that and work, you know? So it's, it's a little strange that we're in the position where we feel... I guess it's just like a, a traditionally we feel the responsibility for being that caregiver and making that our first priority and um, not balancing it with anything else. You know, it's I don't know why it's so challenging, but um, I'm grateful that I was with a publisher that let me let me do that. And 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 with Busby, he obviously encouraged you, like you were saying, to balance to balance your life and to draw some boundaries around your music so that you could. Parent. Well, the really neat thing about buzz is that he he just never made it about like oh now you're a mom and a songwriter like he was just like of course you'll you'll do great like it just never like crossed his mind that there was like extra or so it was just like because you are you you are meant to do this we will make music together and put it out like there just wasn't any and I feel the same way I'm so grateful I mean um, how many times have I had to bring um, both my kids um, into the Liz Rose music offices? I mean, I've had a, several several pluggers and interns um, help my kids uh, either watch Netflix or run up and down the stairs or play pinball. Well, that's where there's there's something to be said for having a publisher that is like a small family like a small independent publisher that that's one of the perks of that and and I actually had a conversation with a a female songwriter friend of mine in the era before I became a mom where she was talking about you know in your decisions moving forward if you're looking at negotiating songwriting deals and you have different opportunities on the table and you want to become a mom then consider what sort of environment you will have with each company and how you're going to marry that with parenthood because some companies are not going to give a crap if something comes you know if if being a parent comes in the way and your child is sick and there will be an issue about that and other companies will be you know flexible and, and embrace that and you just have to think about that with some companies it's about the bottom line and that's all it's about and with other ones there is a little more one-on-one and attention and understanding so um yeah that's cool that you're you've ex- had that same experience yeah. that's good did anything change when you had your your daughter in terms of your experience as a new mom because you were with a different team you were with you know, a female headed publishing company, you were with Buzz, you were with a new team that really kind of put that area of your life first and helped you not feel bad about that. Did was the experience of having your second child different in any way? Um, well, it wasn't necessarily different because of the team. Like I had been with Liz Rose for a long while at that mm-hmm. at that point already and they were already like family but it was just still trying to spin my wheels and make something happen when it didn't feel like anything was and trying to prove myself you know and it felt like with Ruby um with baby number two I just had a lot more grace for myself I just knew it wouldn't be like this for long and 
that I wanted to soak up the baby moments. Um, you know, I'd, I'd been waiting for this time in my life and, and I knew it was probably over after baby number two, you know? So, um, I just gave myself permission. It was, it was around the time, like, you know, another like praise the Lord, you know, God moment was lining up the birth of Ruby with, um, every little thing taking off because it, it really allowed with how empowered I felt, you know, just with Ruby's birth to then also feel like I had something to say, look what we've done. You know, I wrote every little thing after I had Benjamin. Um, I obviously can do this and I'm, we're going to, you know, figure out a schedule that works. And, you know, everybody was on board. Um, everybody's been really supportive of me finding this balance. And I think that's what it comes down to is like, we hold, I think ourselves to such high standards because we're trying to achieve this like kind of unachievable magic of this dream that we've had forever. And what I've found is the more grace I give myself, the the more I end up enjoying the ride. So it was me all along holding me back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> um, so have you have you had um, any aspirations to be an artist? Did you think about wanting to be an artist at the beginning? And did you have opportunity for that? Did you not? Like, how has that played a, a role in what you're doing? Yes, I grew up wanting to be um, an artist for sure. I thought that artists wrote their own songs. So that's kind of, I think, why I started writing. I mean, writing has always just come out the same way that singing has, though. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be Celine Dion, and then I wanted to be Carole King, and then I wanted to be Fiona Apple, and, you know, then I wanted to be Faith Hill or, you know, Natalie Maines or... I I loved I loved singing and and performing and um playing the piano. Um but songwriting was always just I felt braver um sharing my songs like for for whatever reason like it just felt like I just felt braver. Um I felt like I especially after moving to town. So when I was in college, I I ended up majoring in songwriting. I didn't know anything about Nashville, but I discovered that you could be a staff songwriter. And I start, the wheels started turning and I thought, I want to do that. There was also the part of me that was still like, but I also want to be an artist and I will have it all. So, you know, kind of moving to Nashville with those intentions. And I felt braver knocking down doors to get that staff songwriting deal and I continued to write songs as an artist. And I think the older I get, the more I'm like, we're all artists. And that's the problem is like, we try to compartmentalize like the art that we're making and like what we're doing. But um, for whatever reason, you know, I, I made a record. I'm really proud of it still. Like I'm a lot of people like are embarrassed of how things age. I love that record. But for whatever reason, like I was never um, brave enough to knock down any doors of like record labels or be like, I want to be, you know, an artist. I just, I, I always was like, come hell or high water. I'm going to hear my songs on the radio. 
I don't care who sings them. I just want to write my songs and get them on the radio. And that was like what came to be, you know? It was what I went after with my whole heart and it was what came to be. Um, I still love singing and performing and I'm really grateful for all the opportunities that have just organically come like through songwriting and through, um, you know, the Bluebird and, and the listening room and different places. But yeah, that's just kind of the way it, it was for me. And I think it took a while to really understand how much like you have to believe in yourself enough to knock down those doors. Like no one is going to come and offer you that deal. No one is going to come and be like, you need to be a guitar player, (laughs) you know, like, but, but everybody's waiting for that. And, and, and by the grace of God, I had enough courage to, to go after my writing deal. And I'm so glad I have. And, um, all the ways that I maybe at times felt unfulfilled with like the dream of the artist especially now that I have a family, I just see all the ways that they're all really protected from like the privilege of privacy. And, and I love that as much as like music has always been the dream and the ultimate, like now I can like unattach from that and attach to my, my ultimate, which is like my family when when I'm not writing, you know. And you can be at home. And at home, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Physically attached to them, yes. Yeah. I love hearing yeah. you talk about your your journey. It's, it's so funny when, I mean, I'm 23, and I've worked in Nashville for five years. Um, I've lived here permanently for a couple years. I started doing this with the intent of doing it professionally when I was 15 out in L.A., and... When I first moved to Nashville and the last couple years, like I can't tell you how many times I've heard other up and coming songwriters talk about you. I I oh. can't tell you how many times people have mentioned your name as one of their favorite songwriters or one of the people that they would just die to get in a room with. And it's so f- not funny because it's it's, you know, we're all humans, but it's it's just so strange to see that and then see that someone that I know I when I met you for the first time I was so nervous I was like oh my god she's such a big deal oh my gosh I love it and it it was it's so interesting to hear people that you love and admire and respect talk about how they were so unsure that this was what they were meant to do or how they were so sure that maybe they were meant to do it for a minute and go somewhere else or all of those doubts because it really humanizes the journey that you know the music industry I always joke especially when I worked in the business side was like it's the Disney view of the music industry it's someone saw one e-true Hollywood story and was like you move to the town and someone discovers you at the Bluebird Cafe and then you become Taylor Swift in six months and it's like amazing and um and this industry is so much more complex and there's so many more avenues and journeys than anyone realizes so I think you have one of my favorite stories because it's a lot of God moments and a lot of heartbreak and then soaring and it's thank you and of course it continues that's the thing it just keeps on going and we're always all struggling no matter how long we've been here or what level we're at we're always reaching for that next thing I guess and yeah yeah. what are your what are your favorite um 
releases that you've any favorite cuts because you have so much success with some pretty incredible female artists and you know artists in general but do you have anything that specifically for you is really just you know one of your favorite projects something that you're just so excited is out in the world yeah um I think working with Carly and Busby was just like the ultimate I think because it was you know our first number Carly and I's both first number one um I'm wearing this this is a necklace that Busby and got uh, Busby got Carly and I each one of these little diamond pendants for the number one um of every little thing and um so I think that you know it's just like such a special like I was naively hopeful that that would be like the first of many you know maybe number ones with Busby and it um ended up being our only one so that was it's just like a really special release for me um and then I've just been a fan of Joy Williams forever like she's she's just my favorite voice like it she just can do no wrong from the civil wars from the civil wars but I followed her long before that too she was a Christian artist and um and then did a lot of like film and tv work it was really great songs um so I got the chance right with her and my fairy godmother friend, Liz Rose, and we got to write a couple songs and they both ended up on the record and one of them ended up being the title track. It's called Front Porch and the record ended up being nominated for a Grammy this last year. Yeah. So, And she sings the fire out of it and the music video is like just gives me chills. It's just yeah. so beautiful. So, You mentioned Liz as your fairy godmother so do you feel that she has sort of given you some perspective or wisdom in how to navigate the business as a woman yeah liz is pretty amazing um you know she started out as a plugger um and she was a plugger for jody williams who like before he ran um, bmi so you know, and then she started giving, I think, some of her songwriters, she was like, well, what if you try this? And they were like, ah, oh, you should be writing with us. And just seeing her, you know, she started, she always was like, you have so much time. Because she didn't start until she was in her 30s and already had children. And just watching her run a business and have other businesses. And um, she's so active with NSAI and... Um, the recording academy yeah she lobbies on songwriters behalf um with congress as well and yeah quite active in in the community yeah so i'm trying to follow in her footsteps in that way um she's just been like you know a girlfriend over the years too and like family i mean it's really unheard of um but it's like one of the most beautiful things about like small publishers you know we go we've gone over there for thanksgiving and easter and like all these amazing feasts and when my husband was in a terrible accident they were you know all checking in on me and they've been like family and i'm trying to follow in her footsteps now um i'm i'm a new member of the nsa nsai board this year and i'm learning a lot from her um on that's that the front. Nashville, and nashville songwriters association international for for listeners so that is um a, a lobbyist group on behalf of songwriters rights but also an, an educational group for aspiring writers that kind of thing that's great that you're yeah. that you're on the board that's amazing yeah yeah that's been a really 
neat education. I mean, like, it's just been big education for me, really. But really neat timing because um, everything is kind of changing right now as far as pay structure goes for the, in a positive way, which is exciting, um, both for Spotify and um, just for um, royalties in general going up. Speaking of uh, following in, in Liz's footsteps, do you have any desire to branch out into maybe owning your own publishing company, finding talent that you believe in and signing them? Or do you not want to mess with any of the, the businessy stuff and just focus on the writing? Yeah, I just don't feel like I'm I'm there yet. I mean, never say never, but I feel like my business is like my family right yeah. now, as funny as that sounds, like my hands are full. And, um, and I, yeah, I need to focus on my songs. It's still, you know, trying to keep plates spinning one at a time. So maybe someday. <laughs> or, or maybe being a producer someday yeah. too. I know that that's something yeah. we've, we've talked about. Yeah. I just, um, I just finished, I got to produce, um, Jana Kramer's latest single, which is a song we wrote back in 2011, crazy enough. Um, And it's a song that I still love after all this time. And I'm so glad that she decided to release it. And I got to co-produce it with my dear friend, Ben West. That's amazing. It just came out recently. It came out like within the last month, I, I think. Yeah, it's called Untouchable. Well, I think we're we're coming to the end, and before we do rapid fire, we wanted to ask you what we also asked the ladies um, in the Busby episode, which was kind of how do you see his legacy continuing, and, and what do you want people to know about who he was and how he impacted the industry? I think... I had a really unique perspective on Busby because for um, the last month of his life, um, my husband was in a terrible accident. So I was in um, uh, the hospital in the trauma unit and Busby was um, up all night with terrible migraines and he was on a steroid medication that was just kind of keeping him up too. Um, But... Um, it was just a, you know, a terrifying time for me. And he and his wife, Jessie, just texted me like on the hour, every hour, like through the night, we're praying for you. God so got you. We love you. The very God who designed the atom is holding you right now. Just over and over. Like I have um, pages and pages and pages and pages of texts from that week. Um, and, um, you know, it was a terrible thing that he was going through, but he was just such a vessel and a light, like even in that, um, for me. Um, and so I think for me, like the most beautiful legacy that any of us could hope to leave if we're in this industry, you know, is that really like the mark you leave is bigger than just the business, you know? And, um, and that's the beautiful thing um, about him is that like the mark that he left and um, that stays with me is just trying to glorify God and everything and to continue to put my family first and seek that balance knowing that I'm going to write the best songs I can when I'm in a healthy mind space and 
And, you know, he just gave me confidence to be myself, too. That was, like, the really neat thing is, like, it felt like we connected on just such a, like, um, natural musical level. And he would always say, you know, I always wanted I always wanted to be Fiona Apple. And I always felt like I wasn't dark or <laughs> left of center enough for her. Um, and, like, why did I write these, like, poppy little ditties? And... Um, and he was like, I've always struggled with that too. And then I just decided one day to just embrace it and be like, thank you, Lord, for letting me write commercial songs. <laughs> and he was like, we can do that. You know, we can be okay with writing songs that belong on the radio. And we can just say, thank you, Lord, for getting to write these kinds of songs. And that was like a moment where I was like, okay, I can be done like wanting to be someone else. And I can accept like what I do what I bring to the table and just enjoy it, you know? So I think that's a perfect place to, to end with and start with our closing. Our rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So question number one, who is your favorite creator at the moment? Um, so I have been nerding out over flowers for the last couple years and, um, there is this amazing farmer florist named Erin Benzikeen. And I've been following her. It's called Florette Farm um, for a couple years now. And I did the jump for joy dance in the middle of quarantine because I found out that um, Magnolia Network, Joanna and Chip Gaines, they're doing a reality show um, about Florette Farms this fall. So it... (laughs) I, I love I remember when you decided that you needed a hobby outside music. Yeah, I was like I was like everything about something else. I think. Everything revolved around music. Well, it was like um, this could get unhealthy with my kids really quick if I don't have something else to put some energy into. Um, all right, your favorite trend at the moment. Trend. Well, I mean, I am perennially behind trends because I'm a mom now. <laughs> So, I mean, I think this is, like, probably from a couple trends back, but I got this metallic glitter nail polish recently that I like. <laughs> and it kind of takes me back to, like, the 80s. It's very uh, Love it. metallic-y. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, on the flip side, a trend that you really wish would stop. Um... Can, can bro country be an answer? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> We've had that as an answer a couple of times. I think that was our answer. Way, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Vic, do you want to take the last sure. two? Sure. Okay. So when was the last time that you failed at something? Oh, I mean, like, every day. <laughs> um, let's think about this. Um Last week, um, I had the wonderful opportunity to go to um, California for the week and be with my parents and um, bring our kids out and just have a change of scenery for a little bit. And I was feeling so good about it because um, um, I can, you know, kind of work from anywhere with Zoom and everything. And the morning after I got there, I completely forgot about the time change and um missed uh, my team meeting my team meets on zoom every two weeks 
Um, granted, it was like 7 a.m. my time, um, but I, I like woke woke up half bleary eyed at 7:30 and looked at you know four or five texts and was just like, oh, row, row. Yeah. <laughs> there she is. That's the worst feeling, yeah, too. It like. really is. I mean, like, <laughs> oh. You never, you just never want to let your team down, but Mm -hmm. they were full of grace. And um, so, okay, if you could go back in time and give the younger you advice at any point, what would you say? It's so funny how so much of the advice that the older I get, the more that the advice I give sounds like what I thought were like the cliches when I was younger, but there's a reason they're the cliches now. Um... But I think, so aside from all the cliches, like don't try to rush through it. Enjoy where you're at instead of focusing on where you're trying to get. Um, You know, live in the moment. You're never going to get this one back. Besides that stuff, there's such like a beautiful innocence to a dream. And I think no matter what, you lose it over time. Um, it's just like part of like realizing the reality of whatever we're stuck in. I mean, it's, we live in a a fallen world. Um, but there's gotta be a better way, (laughs) um, to not get so jaded and so heartbroken by, um, the no's and the almost and the thought it was, but then it wasn't. And some way to just like or I don't even know if there is but I guess if I was trying to give advice to myself I would I would just say hold on to hope don't despair you're in this moment for a reason and God has and God has good plans for you oh gosh that's That's a perfect way to end it thank you Emily (laughs) that's yeah thank you that's awesome thank you so much for doing this yeah thank you for having me oh my goodness To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign The Table Women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any artists or songs referenced in the episode in our episode notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time on The The Table. Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop you.